Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Gen Z GOP podcast. I'm Mike Brodo, joined as always by high schooler Ryan Doucette and GW senior John Olds. Today, we are 0.73 Scaramucci's away from the election, meaning eight days. And I would want to start by talking about our town hall last night. We were focusing on conservative action on climate change. It was a wild success and we are looking forward to future iterations of the town hall series and while this podcast is meant to promote good discourse as will be our topic today the point of the town halls is to bring in experts from across the conservative spectrum to talk about issues that we are probably not qualified to talk about we're probably not qualified to talk about a lot of this but we like to fake it but the point of those is to bring in more perspectives and we're really excited that our first iteration went so well So today we want to talk about civil discourse, or perhaps uncivil discourse, the lack thereof, among Gen Z, especially on college campuses, and the role that social media can play in flaming those tensions. I think it's interesting to start this topic by tangentially talking about the free speech aspect. It seems like it's a darling of the conservative movement right now to signal support for free speech, especially on campuses. And the Daily Signal, for example, writes, instead of engaging in civil dialogue, students now express outrage at controversial speakers and demand the resignation of faculty members who refuse to conform to progressive creeds or do not immediately condone students' threatening or pernicious actions. So this is true. Free speech is definitely a problem in certain senses, but I don't think it's as big as a problem as civil discourse. You can have free speech codes and the actual textual policies that allow for speech to occur. But none of that matters if we're not engaging in political speech in a way that is constructive and productive and respectful. So I think what today we want to focus on is not the free speech darling topic, but about how we can use that speech to actually listen to each other. It's one thing to allow someone to say something. It's another thing and much more important thing to actually listen and process that information and try to learn from the other side. And this is something that Tim Miller talked about a few episodes ago, that it means a lot more to sit down with someone and learn from them than it is to just yell about what you believe in, surrounded by people who agree with you. So we'll get into that mob mentality aspect. I think I want to first go to John Olds, because high schooler Ryan Doucette doesn't have experience on a college campus, except for his few (laughs) college tours. Poor little guy. Um, But John Olds, who goes to- really do me like that. Yeah, John Olds uh, is in fact in college, even though in one of the photos in the Herald article, he kind of looks like a 13-year-old Nantucket boy, but uh, he does go to an institution of higher education, albeit an inferior one. So let's, John, what's your take on this? I know you chaired the GW College Republicans, and you definitely have some experience with this. First of all, if, if I may clear the air about my supposed, you know, youth and Nantucket vibes. I don't. I don't even know what Mike is on right now, but but he's on something special. But I, I want to commend you, Mike, for bringing up the fact that we're 0.73 Scaramucci's away from, from the election. I didn't think I'd hear that one, but here we are, and it kind of signals something that we should really be paying attention to, and that's 
we have public discourse that's really at an all-time low. We're coming to a head right now at this horrendous election season. People are just throwing haymakers. They're throwing bombs, particularly on social media. There's just so much negativity out there. And I think that so many young people look at this public discourse. They look at just the complete lack of understanding between the two sides. And what they've done is they've just shut it all off. Why would I get involved in politics when it's just so, so divisive? And I'll, I'll speak a little bit about my experience at, at GW College Republicans. We were sort of an outlier. You know, we picked our battles. We didn't always we didn't really get into the weeds. We we weren't in the business of making a big stink about things. I think so much of this free speech code that that you were speaking about, Mike, and the the crusade for free speech. I think a lot of that is really more of an opportunity for conservatives to claim that they're victims, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, I find it to be inherently not conservative for. Uh, for a Republican or a conservative to go around looking for every type of victimhood status that they can claim. But that's unfortunately where a lot of this outcry comes from on college campuses. And the problem with conservatives just saying that they're being victimized and stifled at every turn, the problem with that is that it insulates real criticism. It totally doesn't allow for legitimate criticism of academia to come through and be known because there are a lot of bad actors. There are, I mean, believe me, I, I went to an event where Nikki Haley spoke and there were people outside calling her an imperialist fascist. Now, Nikki Haley's a lot of things, but I don't think, uh, you know, South Carolina governor and fairly average suburban mom is some sort of nefarious imperialist. But that's really besides the point. There are a lot of crazy commies on college campuses, and we shouldn't discredit that. But I also don't think that every chapter of College Democrats is is out to attack and derail and deplatform every single thing that conservatives will say. I think that if you're getting shot shouted down every single time you open your mouth, then maybe you should look inward. Maybe your message is a little, little fringy. I don't know. Something to think about. While I do not possess that college experience, you know, I don't think it's all that different actually at a high school level now with the rise of social media and the rise of, you know, this idea that, you can be an activist for everything. You know, I go to school with some people and, you know, their social media is dedicated towards, you know, virtue signaling. And that's, that's great. But I do worry sometimes when we're having these discussions, it's very much not about the issues and very much about how great of a person we could portray ourselves to be. And I think that's the same reason why people go after someone like Nikki Haley, who's very much like not, really a main issue in our society yeah people don't like her politically but like she's not an imperialist and she's not you know a bad person i think she's a great statesman 
uh, stateswoman and great American, um, no matter how you look at it. And I could say the same about many Democrats. But when you're trying to virtue signal at this level, you know, it can get distorted that we're all kind of in it together and we're all in it to better one another in this country. So, Ryan, just okay. Mike and I are these crotchety old guys, right? Can can we talk about what's actually going on in high schools? Because Mike and I, for better or for worse, went to these all boys Catholic schools where seventy to ninety percent of the student body was conservative. I think that he and I don't really have an appreciation for what's actually going on on the ground at these these different schools right now, particularly in the high school level. You know, it's definitely different. I think it's probably been getting worse since you've been in school. And so I can like anecdote some of my experiences, but by just being, you know, we're not the most controversial type of Republicans. We're not spewing conspiracy theories and we're not, you know, spewing hateful rhetoric. It's yeah, a pretty low I've bar. Still, yeah, it is a pretty low bar, but I've still been called a bigot and people still continue to argue with me on social media. And I think that will happen for as long as social media exists. And as long as our political system exists, like that's going to inherently happen. But this election I know is a whole other uh, ball game compared to past elections. Yeah. There are those people who posted on their stories in 2018 and 2016 and even 2014. But now it's almost as if you were to post an opinion that the majority of people don't agree with, like you're done. And I know that's not just the case here in Massachusetts uh, with Republicans. I'm sure it happens across the country. If you're, you know, a Democrat in a very red school, um, it's not going to end well for you. And that's inherently a problem. Um, granted, some people also have to use some restraint when posting on social media. I have a couple of friends who, are passionate about what they believe in, but sometimes I'm like, it's better to not say stuff out loud and think about what you're going to say. But people shouldn't inherently be afraid to speak their mind about pretty common opinions, like not even controversial stuff. Um, and so it's a new low in the high schools where we're not able to say that stuff freely and where you're afraid that some school might, some student might report your thing on social media to the school or they might report it to an outside source. Um, just a couple weeks ago at a former high school I attended, a kid took a photo with a Trump flag um, on school grounds. We must um, destroy yeah. him. Yeah. And it was an all out public outrage. You know, a local Instagram page took it up and was commenting on the kids. And so some kids dropped the kid's phone number in the comments, their addresses. Um, and it was bad. Like the police got involved and I kind of just sit there and I'm like, yeah, I don't believe Trump is the best candidate for our country, best president for our country. But that doesn't mean anyone that supports him deserves to get dosed. Like there's that level of viciousness that's kind of overtaken our political spectrum in, in the sense of like, oh, if you're a Republican, you're a threat to me. Or if you're a Democrat, you're a threat to me. And simply that doesn't help these young students who are still very much establishing their political opinions grow into adults and grow into potential voters. 
this topic of productive discourse has been something that's been important to me since I was in high school before I really took a deep dive into the political side of things. So when I was a sophomore in high school, I pitched an idea to the student affairs folks that I wanted to create a politics club. And unlike college, where politics is always at the forefront, especially in DC, talked about in class, your professors are pretty open about what they believe in, who they support and whatnot. In high school, it's very taboo to talk about politics in a classroom setting, except for a straight textbook. Here's what Lyndon B. Johnson did with the Great Society. And I felt that that wasn't right. Like School is supposed to be a place for learning and dialogue and engaging with one another on issues that affect us. And, you know, we didn't have a civics class in high school. We talked about that on another episode. And I felt that that even diminished the importance more. So I created this club. And basically, all we did was just talk politics. Topic every week, maybe had a little five minute video to inform people on it, but trying to do it in a way that was productive. And it wasn't to at that point, uh, we weren't living in a society where people are just blatantly signaling on their Instagram stories every seven seconds. So that and that's why Mike has people. so yeah. many friends. He created this club. Yeah, and, and definitely for sure. Uh, it was politics with an X. Go Hawks. St. John's preps trash. And that is the late. Oh my politics! <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I wish you hadn't said that. I could, wish you hadn't said you, that. That hurts. Could. Oh my gosh. Okay. Is this is this a conversation about civil discourse or a or let's trash let's trash St. John's. Um okay, Mike, go keep go ahead. I'm trying go to ahead. get to the point that you can have civil discourse while still bugging John for going to clearly inferior schools. So the point of this club was that these issues weren't discussed, and even if they were discussed, like they might be now in Ryan's high school, they're not discussed in productive ways or ways that are at least not unbiased and how they're presented as facts. And then when, once you're talking about them, you're just screaming at each other. So what I felt like this did was, in fact, improve discussion. But this is not something that can be taught. You can't have a class, and I think Americans doing this, because we all know that school is a, a darling of the left. You can't just have a class that says, hey, guys, we need to speak civilly with each other. And people are going to run out of there and be like, oh, my God, I have my life has changed forever. I am not going to call people fascists on my Instagram story anymore. Five seconds later, what are they doing? But well, like Mike you Gordo, you're a fascist. You're a fascist. Like, you're a bigot. Yeah. It's like John will know this because he's a fellow Catholic. It's like going to confession saying, oh, I'll never do that again. And then a day later, you find yourself sitting again. It's, it's the same thing. It can't be taught. It's something that has to be learned through experience. So what I felt that we could do is provide an example of how to speak civilly. And we're trying to do that on this podcast in a way, trying to show that I can make fun of John while still listening to what he has to say. So I think my high school experience obviously differs from a lot of people's in that it leans conservative, which is kind of an outlier for our generation. But it was also an outlier because I don't think that the school ended up being so polarized, even on the most controversial topics of the day. And I think the reason for that, I'm not going to give myself credit, but like, I started this club and changed my culture. No, but it was just a, it got the ball rolling on a way that we didn't have to look at politics as such a polarizing topic that wasn't talked about, or if it was in such a, a manner that was disrespectful. So I think, how do we apply this to the college scene? Because in college, politics is everywhere at the forefront. People are yelling about it, trying to signal, go to protest like it's a full-time class. 
but there has to be some way that we can provide learning through experience. Because if we don't do this, it's going to keep getting worse. So that either we avoid politics, which a lot of people are turned off by. It's a, it's some, it's a group that we want to engage or people that are involved in politics are not doing so in a way that's actually going to be helpful for the future of discourse in this country. Yeah. So there's that saying, it's like, you know, always try to avoid talking politics and religion. And I swear that statement is how we got to this point. It's how we allowed ourselves to polarize into our Facebook groups of people that agree with us and, you know, build friendships at school and in our communities who of people who agree with us. And ultimately, you know, when we cut ourselves out from people with other perspectives, we feel emboldened about our own. Hey, all these other people agree with me, so I must be right. And that idea is so wrong. And the other issue with social media that we've yet to mention today, and I've been guilty of this myself, and I'm sure Mike and John, you are as well, is that you see an opinion you don't like. And I've you never just done anything fo- wrong. I take no responsibility. Thank you. Ryan John. likes to ask me why his 11:30 p.m. tweets on a Friday don't get many likes, and I'm saying that most people are drinking and not engaged in politics at that time. But teetotaler Ryan does not understand. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> thanks, Mike. Oh my God, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you start going? hitting the bottle. That okay. tweet button gets a little bit bigger and a little more attractive, and you just start throwing. No, lobbing some grenades onto the Twitter timeline. That is okay. what happened. So I am not uh, a victim to this. You know, the most, the latest I'll tweet is probably about 11. Um, not that addicted, Mike. So what I was getting at is it's so easy to unfollow someone with a different opinion. You know, you see something on Instagram and you're like, screw that. Obviously, probably using a more profane word, but, and you unfollow. And all of a sudden, you're now cut out. And while that's easy to do when you see some of these opinions, and it's really easy to do when people are calling people fascist on their stories or comparing people to Hitler. Um, by the way, never compare anyone to Hitler. That's just like a failing strategy. Um, but it's easy to unfollow someone and just cut out their opinion from your life and to discredit it. And sometimes, you know, that can seem for the best, but ultimately it won't be because all of a sudden, you know, you're not familiar with what people are saying. And I think that happened a lot over the past few months about any of these issues, whether it be, you know, police reform or, you know, dealing with coronavirus. There's a lot of public outrage about different things and a lot of it rightfully so. But when it sits on social media in different bubbles, it can boil into something very different from one another. And I'll say something that might be a little bit hypocritical because I've certainly done this myself. So I'm not going to claim to be some sort of altruistic actor on this topic, but the news cycles are so fast. You know, the president of the United States got a deadly virus and we talked about it for a weekend. He was in the hospital and I feel like that was years ago at this point. And it's what, that was only two weeks ago. And it feels like we're just so far removed from that. And I guess what my point is, when you have a news cycle that moves so fast, people are constantly reacting to new information. Somebody could say something, it could be totally out of context, or a policy could be made, or a senator or a member of Congress makes a 
an impromptu remark to a reporter and it just gets blown up and everybody, millions and millions of people consume that information so quickly, whether it's through social media or they read it in a newspaper if you're old like me. And my point is, it's so easy to react to something on social media without actually knowing the facts. And I'm sort of subtweeting a, a, a Mapley issue there. So uh, Ryan will understand, I guess. But um, don't just subtweet it, John. I'll, I'll full on go about it. Oh, so, so, okay. there was a, so let's there was... talk about this. It's a perfect example of social media activism gone awry. You have a yeah. state representative uh, up in the North Shore, uh, actually more like the Merrimack Valley of Massachusetts. And essentially what happened is there were a bunch of Democratic sign holding people. So they had Joe Biden signs and the signs of a number of different Democratic candidates. And, you know, they're waving signs. I think it was a Friday evening. So they were getting some visibility during rush hour. And all of a sudden, a car veers off the road and starts to head towards them. And at the moment, it seemed like the motorist was trying to go into them, like try to attack them and drive into them and intimidate them and scare them and try to, to even potentially physically hurt them. Now, based on what we know about political violence and based on what we saw with the absolutely vile situation in Charlottesville, where unfortunately one of the white supremacists drove a car through the protesters, it's understandable that someone could think that that was the case. But here's the deal. Within a couple of hours of the situation coming to light, we found out that the person who veered off the road and lost control of their car for a moment was actually an 87-year-old woman who was a staunch Democrat who was just so happy to see that so many Democrats were holding Joe Biden signs in her town. She was happy. She was going over to say hello and give them praise. And this state representative posts on Facebook essentially decrying this event as an act of political violence that was enabled by our bigoted, xenophobic president, and she calls on all these local members, uh, Republican members of government to denounce this terrible attack. And it turns out that it was not even close to something that, that she was claiming it to be. And it was totally disastrous. And what my point is here, you got to get the facts, especially if you're a public official. But particularly if you're a, a political elite that has influence and is seeking to influence, you have to get your information correct. And so it is so easy to not do that. It's so easy to just react to something you heard through the grapevine and just fire off a, a snarky tweet or fire off an Instagram story and then retreat to your little bubble because you have almost no recourse that's a massive problem. And it goes to like this, this state rep w was calling on all these local Republican leaders to, to denounce this attack of, you know, political violence. Whereas a simple call to the police department 
would have uncovered that the situation is not what it seemed. And it bugged the crap out of me. And it's not just because she's a Democrat and I prefer her opponent. She's a public official. This is a real problem in our society. And that sort of bad discourse, that sort of jumping to confusions, as my dear physics teacher at St. John's would have said, we can't do that. I think what John's talking about in terms of this news cycle and reacting to it so suddenly and so ubiquitously stems from this perceived duty that we all have to say something about some controversial topic. It's almost like if you don't post 10 BLM Instagram stories that you are therefore a racist. And I think while it's important to share and expose instances of injustice and ways that we can move past these things and resources for people to learn about different ideas and what different forms of racism look like, for example, the more that we post, the more that's out there, the more that it drowns out the important topics that we should be focusing on, the important resources that we should be learning from. It just gets so loud, so noisy that we actually can't cut through the noise and see what we're actually trying to learn from it. At that point, people just get so turned off because the Instagram stories they're trying to go through and maybe get a break from the day are just filled with all this vitriol. And I know that a lot of people that post these things have good intentions, but in the end, we're actually having a negative impact on discourse and we're not actually learning from it. You're not really going to convince someone by posting an Instagram story with all these fancy colors that say everyone that owns a gun is a terrorist. That's a joke to this account Ryan sent me that kind of memes on these types of stories. What I would post, for example, is resources here. Here's an article I I read or I guess written, you know, wrote, you know, when we wrote our op-ed that I think captures what we need to be focusing on and trying to kind of put the blinders on in a way, not in terms of ignoring what's important, but to push out what's not important. And I don't know why this responsibility is perceived responsibility came about that all of us have to react instantaneously, post something, post a tweet, something happened across the world. I have to care about it. Yeah. Okay. Sure. You should care about these things but not to the point where you're drowning out the voices of people that have a responsibility to speak on the topic or have the knowledge to speak on the topic. Or that's just what wait really 24 here. hours. Just wait 24 exactly. hours. Let process. And I think that's where, that's where these instances go crazy. Everyone's all, you know, drunk on the, you know, instant news cycle and trying to react so, um, so suddenly that we don't even process what's going on. And not just the facts, like with the example you just talked about, but also what it really matters in the end. So I think, I don't know where this came from. It just seems like the problem is snowballing and getting worse, but it's to a point where the more we say, the less we know, and we need to have a way that we can sit down with people and try to push out what doesn't matter and try to focus on it. Because at some point, when you have all these people, and I'm not trying to denounce them for posting about BLM and stuff, but if you have all these these white folks our age constantly posting about it, it kind of drowns out the voices from the people that they are trying to help, from the vo- black voices that they're, uh, you know, that are suppressed. So what is a way that we could be allies in certain things like this instead of trying to speak for them? Because in that sense, you're actually doing a disservice to that movement, right? And I'm not associating with the, the organization here. I'll clarify that again. We get a lot for that. But just a movement that works for racial justice. Because at some point, we need to realize that we are the privileged ones, and we can't be speaking about this entirely. 
And so I think it, it actually is counterproductive in a sense where we're just constantly posting, trying to signal, because I think a lot of these people are driven by good intentions, but there is this underlying fear that they will be perceived as the bad guy. But in the end, that doesn't do anything. So I think that's really problematic here. Uh, and I, I know, Ryan, I, I know you have some experience with this, especially what was it like in, in, among the high school population? Because I know we're all bombarded with these Instagram stories nonstop. Oh, I mean, I'm sure it's the same, if not worse. So what happens at a high school level is that, you know, once a trend is started, you have to participate or you're going to be called out publicly, not even privately, publicly. And here's the issue with that. Yeah, yes, I think it's complicity. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, these people believe that if you're not maybe participating in one specific action, you're complicit to 400 years of racism and bigotry. And it's wrong because here's the issue. I know a lot of people who didn't post and got publicly humiliated, lack of better terms. And here's the issue. They are actually better allies about some of these issues than the people who are posting. You know, Wait, Ryan, you if you these... don't post a black square, you're actually not a racist bigot? Oh, I know. It's... I. That's a crazy yeah, concept. You know, I, I, wish right, I, I, need make to, I need to go take a day off and try to process that. Yeah, I know. It's... Truly, it made me, you know, go to therapy. It made me rethink everything about my life, you know. But people actually believe that posting a black square was going to, you know, signal that they are this virtuous person who cares so deeply. And, you know, I, I told a couple people this. They were like, why didn't you post it? And I said, look, my actions on a daily basis reflect more of how I actually, what I actually believe than if I posted something. And I, you saw those kids that you know who are actually pretty hateful people post a black square simply for the clout of it. And that's the issue with this media frenzy. It's it's not about what we do or what we actually say. It's about what we post. It's not about um, what we actually believe in, but it's what we tell people we believe and that's an issue. You know, that's an issue today. It's an issue moving moving forward to tomorrow. And it'll be an issue in a year from now. Because as much as I think a lot of people are well-intentioned about some of these things, ultimately, by kind of draining out some of the important anecdotes um, and experiences that people have with these incredibly difficult issues, we're almost trying to act like that we know what we're talking about because we're posting a black square or we're posting something on an Instagram story and it's not allowing people to speak up. You know, I, I have an anecdote and I won't say names for the sake of privacy, but I witnessed, oh, you know, Ryan. Oh, it's awful. And you're going to, you're going to gasp when you hear the story, but I witnessed a white girl tell this friend of mine who's black. You don't know what you're talking about when it comes to race. And I was shook that like I heard what I heard. And I mean, that's what's coming out of this. It's not actually productive conversations about race. And I think there's a specific reason why the three of us have not as much talked about the issue because it's simply not something that, you know, we've experienced enough to talk about. And I think more people should feel comfortable saying, hey, you know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Like we're going to listen. That's such I think, a good point. Oh my God. That was the next thing I was going to say. Continue, but but I, I got something to say. Yeah. And it's just, I just wish more people would acknowledge that, you know, there's issues around every issue 
someone's going to be more knowledgeable to talk about than you. That doesn't mean you can't talk about it, but be selective, you know, be stand for something, but don't stand for everything. Cause if you stand for everything, then, you know, you're going to fall for everything. So yeah, John talk about your point. Yeah. So, so that phrase, you have two ears and one mouth. It's so important. And it's so important to understand We've made listening, the concept of listening to be like a dirty thing, I feel like. That the idea that you would seek out more information, the idea that you would seek out more facts, the fact that the idea that you would go to someone and learn about and listen to their lived experience with anything, whether it's socioeconomic status, whether it's uh, racial injustice or, or any number of things. The idea that you, as who you are, would try to seek out somebody's experience and 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 life experience because it's not yours, the fact that that's seen as dirty, that that's seen as inaction, that bugs the living crap out of me. And and I'll I'll use an example from the campaign I'm running after the the George Floyd murder just not to get too far down a rabbit hole here. My boss had a meeting, a couple of meetings, actually, probably three, where he brought together local leaders, religious leaders, NAACP members, and members of law enforcement to have an actual productive conversation so that people could hear what was actually going on at the street level. And... Those were some amazingly productive conversations, topics about how representation among police actually matters and the idea that certain micro actions are what so many people of color experience and they are discriminatory. But just the fact that my boss did a little post on Facebook about how he met with these people and he was met with this barrage of, I can't believe you're not supporting racial justice. This is weak. This is inaction. And I almost said to myself, look, my boss is a white guy. All right. He took the steps to actually figure out what was going on to actually see what change he can make as a legislator to make life better for everybody. And that was seen as a as a dirty word. It was a dirty thing for him to do that that he was that he wasn't standing up enough. That he wasn't because people want a fighter, they want a sh- people someone who's going to shout and throw rocks and sling mud. And at the end of the day, that's it's not good for discourse because it doesn't actually change anybody's mind. It doesn't actually move the ball forward. You know, you can shout and scream and bitch and moan all you want, but my goodness, if you're not actually listening before you lead, you're not actually gathering the facts before you lead, then it's a really, really good way to make short-sighted legislation, policy, what have you. So I just, sorry to go on a rant about that, but that stuff just ticks me off so much. It's like, why wouldn't you get information and facts before you dive into the people's work. 
I mean, John, that doesn't support the narrative or it doesn't support, you know, the virtue. Um, so I, I, it's, it's an issue. And I think we all have a collective responsibility to take what we're talking about back to our respective institutions and our communities and be the change in the sense of if we want actual change in this country, if we want things to improve, and I think we all do. I don't think there's a single person who says right now is the best time in America. I don't think a single person can say that. But if we can embody this idea that if we kind of work together and if we speak collectively, we don't have to come to the same solutions, but we just have to know why people came to their solution. And it might be because, you know, they perceive something differently and that's okay. I mean, we live in America for a reason. We're a great country for a reason. And that's because everyone can have their opinion, but we need to hear each other out. We can't just ignore one opinion as, you know, a bigoted opinion. Like realistically, it's not obviously in the case of like race, real racism and bigotry, like, yeah, call it out. So as we look towards, you know, this election cycle, it's it's not great. You know, there's a lot of poor rhetoric being spewed across the country and a lot of these local seats that have long avoided the national drama have been sucked into it as seen in the state representative race that we were talking about just a couple minutes ago. But we have a collective responsibility, as I mentioned, to change that to not post crazy things on social media before we can confirm them or not post crazy things on social media to begin with. And rather to use this tool that we've been given in social media to improve our civil discourse and improve the idea that people can have differing opinions. And when we do that, we're all going to be stronger because of it. And our communities are going to be stronger. And after election season, we're not going to be as divided. I think we spent a lot of this episode kind of dunking on certain aspects of political conversation. And I think it's maybe the opposite problem that I might have experienced in high school when people weren't talking about it enough. And I think both instances are bad. I want to clarify that we know political conversations are not easy. It's safer to bring up football scores or tell childhood stories over Thanksgiving dinner. But political conversations are inherently important to the sustainability of our republic. We are not going to progress as a nation. We are not going to pass bills. We are not going to help each other's families if we cannot engage with the discussions that ultimately and fundamentally shape what our country needs to be. So I don't want this episode to say, take a break from politics. Go hide in your rabbit hole. That's not what we're trying to say. Well, we might say tone it down, tone down the rhetoric. Don't be posting a reaction to every single news event. Maybe let it simmer a little bit. We're also not saying to go totally aloof. And I think that social media is an example of this. We spent a lot of the episode dunking on the negatives of social media, but I think it's important to highlight some of the positives. For example, we probably wouldn't exist without social media, meaning this organization, this podcast. It was a way for us to spread our ideas, to engage with listeners, to bring on people. And it's been a really formative experience because I've been able to connect with people I've never met across the country that looked at this organization and said, this is something I believe in. I can be a part of this movement to shape the Republican Party for the future. That's make, it makes it easier by having those forms of communication. So I'm, we can't just totally give up. 
We need to use it in better ways. Ben Sass talks about this. We cite this book like every other episode in them. So we need to find balance and we need to utilize the tools that we have been given in ways that are going to be constructive. I don't like to say social media is this awful thing. We need to go back to the dark ages. I'm just saying, let's take a second to process. What is the point of doing all of this? Are we just trying to signal to our friends that we are some sort of saint or angel? No. If we really care about what we're posting, then we're going to care about the way in which we are posting it. So we're going to end this episode by plugging our social media, which I think is kind of funny here. Uh, please follow our Twitter. For the organization, it's Gen Z GOP org, O-R-G. And for this podcast, Gen Z GOP pod. And like our Facebook pages, those are a little bit behind in getting uh, started. So we need the, to increase our engagement there. And so like I just did, we plug this social media every time we end the episode because we know that it's a way that we can help spread and disseminate these ideas. But we also reflect that each time we use that, each time we hit the tweet button, that we are trying to say something that is going to have a real positive impact. So I think the takeaway here is that it's not to run away, but it's also not to fight every fight. It's to look and assess which issues we want to engage on, why we want to engage on them, and how we can engage on them so that we can really truly make an impact. So we hope to see you back here next week. We have an exciting guest episode. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Please be sure to tune in next week for another exciting guest episode. That's it for today. Have a great week. Thank you.